we're looking at some uh, pretty wild conversations and how they affect us. There's conversations in the Bible that, in fact, affect our life today. The star today is a fellow by the name of Balaam. He's a brilliant guy. He's ambitious. He's got two weak points. He loves applause. He loves money. Kind of like all of us, I guess. But he has a remarkable gift. He's a prophet. And with the, with the gift of prophecy, God, God speaks through him. And since God speaks to him, he has a knowledge of things that uh, prophecy. He would, he would know a nation's going to thrive, and he would say, this nation's going to thrive. Or he would know a nation's going to fail. This nation's going to fail. And when it happens, people begin to put two and two together. They feel like Balaam can bless a country or curse a country. He, he begins to take credit for what God's doing. Matthew chapter 3 says, live your life, let your light so shine that God receive glory. Whatever your light is, whatever your talent is, it's designed that God receives glory. Back to kingdom, living my life that God receive glory. Balaam is the opposite. He's taking this gift and he's misusing it. He's drawing attention to himself. He's got people convinced he can bless a country or curse a country. Nations all around him begin to buy into this. Talk about misusing your gift. So, the Hebrew army, out of the Red Sea, coming into Canaan, Jericho has fallen, they're moving forward, and here comes this gigantic Israeli army, and they're outside of Moab. And the king of the Moabites, King Balak, says, uh-oh, I'm not prepared for war. I can't take them out. i got to get Balaam to come over here and curse them, because whoever he curses, they lose. So he sends this team to go meet Balaam and say, I need you to curse that nation for me because I'm not prepared to take them on in battle. Numbers 22, verses 5 and 6. Here's that information. He sent messengers to Balaam, son of Bor, at Pethar, near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak, this is the king of Moabites, a nation has come out of Egypt that covers the land. They've camped next to me. They are too powerful for me. So come, put a curse on them. Maybe then I can defeat them. Make them leave the area. I know that if you bless someone, the blessing happens. If you curse someone, it happens. Uh, Balaam knows he's got no power. But he's given this impression, and, and surrounding countries have bought him. Balaam knows he can bless or curse nobody. He's just been proclaiming God's voice and kind of taking credit for it himself. He's getting credit for God's gift. So this team comes and says, you gotta, you, you got to curse that nation. We, we, we can't take them on. We have this gigantic gift, gold, sweet bribe. Now Balaam wants to keep the gold. So he tells these messengers, you stay here. I'm going to go pray because I think I can help you. Well, duh, God says, no, you're not going to, you're not going to, Israel's going to win. So these messengers return empty-handed. But then a second team come with a bigger bribe. 22, 15 to 17, still in numbers. So Balak, that's the, that's the king, of course, sent other leaders. This time there were more of them. They were more important. They went to Balaam and said, Balak, son of Zippor, has says this. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to me. I will pay you well. I will do what you say. Come and put a curse on these people. Okay, the million-dollar question, why the second bribe? If the first bribe didn't work, why did he come back with princes and more important people and, and even more money? Why the second bribe? It's the way Balaam refused the first bribe. He never said no. 
He never said it's wrong. The people of Israel are God's people. I can't stand against them. He never admits I don't have any power. What he did, he gave that first group the impression, I would have liked to have gone with you. Maybe not far from the truth. But as you look at his answer, that first group, he manages to say a lot and never say no. Buckle up. He even told that first group, stay overnight. Spend the night. Let, let, let me try. Really? Numbers 22, 8. Balaam said to them, stay here for the night. I will tell you what the Lord tells me. So a Moabite later stayed with him. <laughs> Come on. Balaam's like the person that knows something is spiritually wrong. Or they know something is, is scripturally wrong. But they never declare it wrong. They ask the tempter to stay the night. Let me plead with God. Let me negotiate on behalf of the tempter. Maybe rationalize something through here. If something is no, then it's no. But we come up with these half statements, don't we? It's against my church. I shouldn't be involved in this behavior. We can, we can manage to go all the way around temptation and never flat out say no, which means down deep inside we wish we could say yes. That's Balaam. He's got a lot of ancestors today. That's not kingdom living, living my life that God received glory. When the tempter comes, we say no, because if we don't, he'll come again. There was a whole second group coming, even with a bigger bribe. What did he actually tell those messengers, the first group? A lot of words. You don't hear the word no. Here it is. Numbers 22, 13. The next morning, Balaam awoke and said to Balak's messengers, go back to your country. The Lord refuses me to go with you. That sounds kind of clear. But doesn't it also say, I wish I could. But God's backing me off, but oh, I wish I could. He really gives the inference that he wants to go, which I think he probably did. He wants the gold. You begin to compromise. You just can't compromise and live kingdom. It never works out well. If you don't deal with temptation straightforward, I guarantee this. No exception. Every time it will come again. A half answer. At a first round of temptation, guarantees a second round. If you don't cause Satan to flee, why would he? He only comes back more aggressively. I think people think, Scripture is so hard to understand. No, it's not. Most of it, frankly, is common sense, isn't it? If you don't say no to the tempter, why are you surprised when he comes again? It's, a temp it's common sense. Balaam managed to go all around the issue and never says No. Now, a shrewd member of that first group pulled King Balak aside and said, listen, he wants to come. I think what we ought to do, send a more important group, send princes and a bigger bribe. I think he'll come. That's why the second group came. He never said no. If you give a half answer to Satan, why in the world are you surprised when he comes back? The second committee, here they come. More important, bigger, bigger bribe. And although when they come, Balaam kind of blushes, but again, look what he says. Second group, 22:18. But Balaam answered Balak's servants, King Balak could give me his palace full of silver and gold. I cannot disobey the Lord my God in anything great or small. That sounds decisive. That sounds strong. But you know what's missing? No. No. He just refuses to say flat out no. And then get ready for the very next verse. Buckle up for this one. 22, 19. 
You stay here tonight, as the other men did. I'll find out what the Lord tells me. Stay overnight. Again! Second group. Stay o- We'll work this thing out. Stay the night. What God said no yesterday, he's going to say yes today. We've done that. Entertain the tempter. Be my guest. We'll make popcorn. We'll have s'mores. Stay, stay the night is a long way from Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. That's a big difference here. Stay the night. Hey, come on, let's be fair. You and I can do nothing about coming temptations. You're going to be tempted, period. The holiest people have been tempted and will be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's okay. It's what you do with it's the issue. And again, there's a big difference between no, get behind me, Satan, and stay the night. Let me see what I can't work out. It's just, it's just fatal to play games with a tempter. Pretty soon you're rationalizing your entire spiritual walk. You redefine your spiritual walk. You create an alternate reality. You leave behind what is real. When Balaam asks for permission of God a second time, he's sinning against his own conscience. One of the great theologians, Dr. Hayden Robinson, writes, and I'm going to read the entire paragraph, so you've got to listen intuitively, and I know Uncle Gene talks fast, so hang on. But let me give you the entire paragraph, because I think it fits in Balaam's story. Dr. Hayden Robinson. If we are walking with Christ in the matter of questions of conscience, our first thought will probably be the most Christ-like. It's when we're fresh, pure on the subject. There's nothing like first glance at duty. Before, we've been pleaded by our affections. Our spiritual duty then seems to be clearest at first. It's when we get involved in wishing things were different. Time spent considering duty is usually spent seeking an excuse to explain it away. That last line's a kicker, isn't it? Let me give it to you again. Time spent considering duty is usually spent looking for an excuse to explain it away. Hayden Robinson. That's Balaam right here. He really wants the applause. He wants to do what he wants to do and not have God's, God's punishment. He wants to go against God's will and not be held responsible for it. Haven't yeah, we been there? He wants to go against God's will, but he doesn't want to be responsible for it. He goes back again. Right and wrong can't be juggled. That fateful night, God answered. Get ready for his answer. Numbers twenty-two twenty. That night... God came to Balaam and said, These men have come to ask you to go with them. Go, but only tell them what I tell you. Balaam thinks he's won. God's changed his mind. He's letting me go. I'm going to curse the nation of Israel because God's telling me to go. That's not what he would have said. God said, You only tell them what I tell you. And you go with those men. Well, Balaam didn't do that. He didn't wait for the men to wake up. In the middle of the night, he's saddling the donkey. He's John Wayne. He's going. He's gone. So, shocker, 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 God's not happy. He's, he, he's kind of doing the very thing you're not supposed to do. Wait for the men, go with them, listen to the words I tell you. Well, he's up and gone. So, what a shock. God's angry. Numbers 22, 22. God became angry because Balaam went. So the angel of the Lord stood in the road to stop him. That's grace, grace of God. He'll do anything to keep us from rushing into sin. He sends an angel in the Lord trying to stop him. And he does. The angel's in the road with a drawn sword held up. And as Balaam's turning the corner, approaching the donkey, 
has his eyes open to the angel. Balaam doesn't see it. A donkey freezes. I mean, come on. And the donkey turns away. Balaam is in such a hurry. This disobedient donkey, I don't, want, I don't need you disobedient. Now he begins to whip the donkey. And the donkey's so terrified, he slings forward and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall, sidewall. Balaam whips the donkey again. And the angel dispersed and began to surround the donkey and Balaam. Balaam's not seeing this, but donkey sure is. A donkey, shaking in absolute terror, drops to the ground. Filled with anger, Balaam whips him again. So the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Remember we're talking about bizarre conversations? This is a bizarre conversation. Numbers 22, 28. Then the Lord made the donkey talk. And she said to Balaam, what have I done that you'd hit me these three times? What would you do? Come on. The donkey turns and says, hey, what are you doing? I'm gone. You see Uncle Gene's heels. You too. What surprised me is Balaam has a conversation with the donkey. Is this not the most bizarre conversation of all time? Balaam says, I'll tell you what the problem is. He's talking to the donkey. Very next verse, 22, 29. Balaam answers the donkey. You made me look foolish. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I'd kill you right now. This guy can't wait to get to King Balak. But to me, in this conversation, it seems the only one making any sense is the donkey. He reasons in common sense. Look at the next verse, Numbers 22:30. But the donkey then said to Balaam, I've been your own donkey, which you've ridden for years. Have I ever done this to you before? What a wise answer. I mean, does it frustrate you? The only one with any brains is the donkey? You've ridden me for years. I've never done this. You think there might be a reason for this? At that point, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. And he sees an angel with a sword. And Balaam does what you would do, what I would do. Boom! He is on the ground, flat, flat on the ground in, in terror. An angel with a sword. Remember, all this came about because the guy didn't, didn't say no. All this came about originally because the guy gave a half answer. He was never clear to the tempter. So now the angel speaks directly to Balaam. Talk about laying the law down. Numbers 22, 32. And the angel of the Lord God said, Why did you have the donkey three times? Behold, I went out to withstand you because your way is perverse. The animal saw me and turned away. Had she not, I surely would have slain you. Now, if I'm Balin laying there, and the donkey's, I'm going, thank you. Balaam then told the angel, again, what you and I would have done. I am sorry. I have sinned. I know you prevent me from further sin. If you please, I will go home. Hey, I got the reverse gear right now. The angel gave him permission to proceed on to King Balak and give only words God gives him. That's the basis, but look at what it means to us. The tenderness of a loving God. He doesn't let us race into sin. He turned Balaam away three times. And we understand what we call the escalation of punishment. Every parent knows escalation of punishment. If you have a two-year-old, you know the escalation of punishment. Uh, let, let, let's, let's give you an idea. A toddler reaches for a hot plate. And you push him back and say, no, no, no. Well, if he's two, he's going, take another shot. 
Well, now you grab his hand and say, Daddy said no. Well, now he's going to cry a little bit, have a little, pit, have, have a little fit. But then he realizes, I'm still going. Now you give him, now you give him a little bit more, more clear spanking. Why? Well, I hate that kid. No, it's to protect and love. Why did the punishment get escalated? Well, the parent didn't escalate it. The kid escalated it. It's not out of hatred. It's out of love. It's out of protection. That the punishment got escalated. Well, there was an escalation of punishment with Balaam. It teaches us something. Remember the first time? The donkey turned away. No harm. Second time, when Balaam kept putting his hand toward the hot plate, kept trying to go forward, foot up against the wall got crushed. A little bit of harm. Third time, all the way to the ground. Totally helpless. Punishment escalated because he kept dangerously wanting to go forward. God always tries to block our way to sin. His problem was half answers up front. The angel blocked the way only because he loves and protects. He, he didn't have any pleasure about frightening Balaam with a sword. He didn't get any pleasure about having his foot crushed. He didn't have any pleasure about having him hit bottom, totally humiliated. That's the grace of God, doing everything he can to stop us from going recklessly into sin. And it really all began because he just didn't address the tempter clearly. He blocks our road to sin. And you know this. Maybe you're one of those that turned back at the point of God speaking to you. You repented. You heard God's voice before you were damaged. Maybe you or someone you know got their foot crushed. They ignored God so long that now for the rest of their life they're living with the damage that's been done to them. Emotionally. Physically. They're living, even though they're serving Christ now, they're living with damage that was done because they didn't turn back quick enough. Or maybe you know someone that went all the way to hit bottom. And their life has been a tragedy. They finally came to Christ. But the fact of the matter is, they hit bottom and had to bounce up. The PowerPoint is, he rescues you no matter where you are in, in the escalation of punishment of damage you do to yourself outside of Christ. If you're living away from Christ, or if you're making one half answers on temptation, God ought to open our eyes to see there's an angel blocking the way from the will of Christ. Because as we go off on our own, we don't, sometimes don't realize that we're merely adding to the damage that has to be addressed sooner or later. Never harden your heart to the angel in your path. I wish we could open our spiritual eyes and see the angel in our path. Because frankly, one of the most bizarre conversations is Balaam and the donkey. But unless we understand the entire story, it's just a weird tale of Dr. Doolittle in the Bible. Once we know the whole story, we realize it speaks to me personally. And the problem began when I didn't address the tempter aggressively. Let's stand together this morning. Father, Scripture is so loaded with great stories. And it's, it's not my role to be a storyteller. But we want to understand why that story is there. Because it speaks to us today. It may be that there's someone that has really, frankly, been under a great temptation, wrestling with a tempter, and they've never really said no because somewhere in their spirit they wish they could say yes. That's a real battle. That's relevant. That's what people are dealing with. They're trying so hard to be clear, but help us to realize when we don't be clear, Satan comes back even more. May we have a clear sense of no when you lay on our heart the answer is no. 
And Father, for that person that is running from you, we pray for them. We love them. We're not here to judge people. We don't have time for that. We just want to love people. We help them to realize that we're damaging ourselves. And when we do come to Christ, that all the damage that's been done is still there. He forgives us of our past. He doesn't erase our past. And Father, before more damage is done, we want to come to you and say, God in heaven, I love you. And I need you. Where I've sinned, forgive me. That I might understand living a kingdom life, that you receive glory from me. And we praise you in your holy name. Amen. Another, another wild conversation that we, we don't get unless we know the whole story. Old Testament conversation. It's the big moment. Moses coming down off Sinai. He's got the Ten Commandments. Now what does he see? A golden calf. He's ticked. And he knows who did it. Aaron's workmanship must have been incredible because the minute he saw that calf, he goes, Aaron did this. So he rushes to Aaron. And we have a conversation between Moses and Aaron that's really detailed. Why? Well, because it's relevant to our life today. Next week, let's look at this conversation that goes on between Moses and Aaron by, by, by the golden calf. Right now, let's just praise him one more time.